Welcome to the Park Church Sermon Podcast. This is the audio portion of our weekly sermon. For more resources, check the show notes or visit www.parkchurchdsm.com. We'd also like to invite you to check out our weekly podcast, Inside the Park, where we take Sunday to the weekday. Available everywhere you get podcasts. Thanks for listening. Good morning. You may have a seat. So good to see you. Can we thank Mia and the band? Appreciate that. Man, I'm ready to preach, guys. Thank you. That was fantastic. Praise him. Welcome to the Park Church. If you haven't met me, my name is Brad, and I have the privilege of being the pastor here. And I want to tell you that we're one of our pillars that hold us up and hold us together is the Word of God. We're a Word-centered church, and we always open the Bible. So if you've got a Bible with you, I'd invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 John that Rob read not too long ago. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, as we continue in our series, Don't Waste Your Summer, where our desire is to having knowing that you're in and out throughout the summertime to be able to jump in on this series with us with the hope that when someone asks you at the end of this summer, how was summer, for you to be able to say, I took some good steps in my relationship with Christ this year, this summer, and took some good steps in walking with his people. So we have looked at the life that God has called us to in abundance through Jesus. We have looked at his word together and responding back to him in prayer. And we've looked at that God wants us to enjoy this life here on earth and his creation in the world that he's given to us. And this morning we continue, don't waste your summer with this. Don't waste your summer by letting unconfessed sin Hinder your relationship with God. Let's pray together. God, as this is a heavier tone from the outset to hear what we're talking about today, we ask and pray that you would shape us, convict us, and mold us through your word by the power of your spirit. God, would you convict us of sin? Would you point us to Jesus to fall on his grace and to continue in his grace to battle against sin in this life and to live victoriously in the power of your spirit? God, I pray we'd be changed as a result and some would come to know Jesus today. In Jesus' name I ask all these things. Amen. The other day I stepped on a piece of glass. Have you ever done that before? You know how painful that is? And it's a little tiny one. I mean, I wasn't walking through a room and saw this giant piece of glass and intentionally stepped on it, right? It's that little microscopic one that gets into your foot and does terrible damage. I mean, me as a grown man, I get this little tiny speck and like I can't do anything for the rest of the day, right? It makes me ineffective. Everything that I try to do is ruined. I can't even really walk to the kitchen, let, it go, let alone go on a run, which I actually did find that pretty convenient. I can't go on a run today because I've got a piece of glass in my foot. But I was able to go out to the rest of my day, go to work, and do what I was supposed to do. But all the while, this tiny little sliver was affecting everything. Oh, believe me, I tried as hard as I could to get it out in the morning with tweezers and could not get it and had to be on my way. And this tiny piece of glass affected everything that I was doing that day and kept me from being fully effective. 
do you want to have a thriving, intimate relationship with Jesus? Do you desire that? Do you desire to be effective for the kingdom of God? To be one of his people that makes an impact and a difference in this world? The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, he instructs us to lay aside every weight and sin that so easily clings to us. What he is saying there is that we can so easily, it can be even seem like a microscopic sin, can cling to us and weigh us down, keeping us from intimacy with God and being effective to be used by him. So let's start this morning in 1 John chapter 1, looking at verse 7, at the way that we are brought into a relationship with God. This is what it says. If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. What is the only thing that can cleanse you from sin? Is it you doing good? Is it you being a good person? No, only the blood of Jesus is defective detergent to cleanse you from sin. And the blood of Jesus, speaking of Jesus' perfect sacrifice on the cross in your place and, is, and in mine, is the only way that sin is taken care of. So what happens then when you trust in him through faith? You go from being a sinner to a saint. You go from being an enemy to a child. Brought into the family. You go from being a filthy, rotten, unrighteous sinner to being declared righteous. You go from owning nothing to being given an inheritance. The Spirit of God living inside of you as a present and current guarantee that your salvation will one day fully be complete. And that is your status right now. It cannot be changed. You cannot be more righteous on your best day. You cannot be more less righteous on your very worst day. When God sees you, if you know Jesus, he sees complete perfection. Even though that's not the real reality of your life, that's what he sees. So that means none of us sin this week, right? No. Because often the way that God sees us isn't the way that we're currently living. So if you are in Christ, that is, you know Jesus as your Savior, when you sin, your status as a Christian, as having your sins completely forgiven, does not change. Did you hear that? Your status before God when you sin as a believer does not change. But like glass in the foot, your fellowship with God and your relationship with him is hindered. When sin is present in your life that goes unconfessed. It's like any other relationship. When there is sin or there is a struggle, is your relationship great with a person that you're struggling with? No, the sin affects it, doesn't it? I think about my marriage with my wife. When we have a struggle and there's sin between us, my status to her does not change. I'm still very much her husband. But sin affects and hinders our fellowship together. Until she responds and says it was all her fault and confesses, right? No, it's usually the other way around. It's a mutual confession. But as that happens, then as that is removed, we reconcile. The fellowship is then restored. And so I want to talk to you about that. How does sin as a believer 
How do you deal with that and not let it weigh you down in your Christian life? This is what I want to submit to you this morning. It's by a man named Joe Thorne, and this is what he says. The life of the believer is not one of perfection, but continual purification. The life of the believer is not one of perfection, but of continual purification. Look at verse 8 of that same chapter, and we're going to go to verse 10 as well. We're going to skip 9 for now and come back to it. It says this. If we say we have no sin, we what? We deceive, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Verse 10. If we say we do not, we have not sinned, we make him, that's God, a liar, and his word is not in us. So I just want to give you quickly, or not quickly, I want to just give you simply today three things to not be hindered by unconfessed sin. Three ways to not be hindered by unconfessed sin. The first one is this. Confess that you're an ongoing sinner. Confess that you today are an ongoing sinner. What does the text say? If you say you don't struggle with sin, you are a liar. If you say that you don't have sin in your life, you call God a liar and you don't really know God. So there were some false teachers that John is writing to in this church, and this was some of the things that they taught. They were teaching that matter, the physical world, the things that you could see and touch, was what was evil. The spiritual realm was what was good. So what they were doing is they were coming into the church and saying, we're actually not sinners because everything that we do in our body, we're not actually accountable for. That's not actually us doing it. It's our sinful bodies. Our good selves are actually inside. So we're not the ones doing the sinning. It's our bodies that are sinning. That's kind of a good excuse, isn't it? It's like, hey, that's, I could work with that. It seems crazy, doesn't it? But in reality, that's not too different from our world today. I was talking to a friend just the other day. And I was asking him about being a sinner. And he said, Brad, I don't see myself as a sinner. I just see myself as having a few flaws. So we don't want to be held accountable to the things that we do, let alone to call them sin. But I want to submit to you this morning this. The difference between an unbeliever and a believer is that a believer struggles with sin. Did you catch that? The difference between an unbeliever and a believer is a believer struggles with sin and an unbeliever doesn't. What do you mean? A believer, if you really know Christ, you know that you have ongoing sin in your life that you commit every single day and every moment. You are fully forgiven. Your status with God does not change, but you have ongoing sin all the time that is still present and you're very aware of it. That's a sign, if you're aware of the struggle in your life with sin, that's a sign that you're a believer, not an unbeliever. Now some of you need to hear that today. The fact that you are struggling with sin means that God is working in you, convicting you of it. And in a sense, you need to be encouraged with that. That you're aware of your present sin means that you actually do belong to God. It doesn't mean that you stay there and you settle into it. But if there is a struggle against sin, that's a sign that God is working in you. And you know what? As you mature in Christ and as you grow in him, 
you'll begin to realize that you're far worse than you ever imagined. You know what I'm talking about? As you grow in Christ and you're more aware of His holiness, you start to think, well, when I'm in my 40s, I won't feel as sinful. When in reality, you're going to feel even more sinful because you'll realize just how desperately you are in need of God's grace. Take a look at this from the Apostle Paul. This is what he says. In 56 AD, he wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15. I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. In 60 or 61 AD, this is what he said in Ephesians 3 verse 8. This grace was given to me, the least of the saints. And then in 62, even later on, or 64, he says this when he's writing to Timothy. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. Do you see Paul's progression there? As he matured in Christ, first of all, he saw himself as more and more sinful as he became more and more aware of God's presence. He went from being the worst of the group to the worst Christian to the worst sinner on the planet. So as you grow in Christ, you will see more and more that you are actually more sinful than you ever dared to imagine. And listen, because that is a true reality... That gives us freedom to be a very honest church with each other. To be very honest about your ongoing brokenness and your need for Christ on a daily level. I grew up in an environment where you didn't share your sins. You just made everybody think everything was okay. You put on your Sunday best. You said, howdy brother, howdy sister. I wasn't from the South. We didn't say howdy. I just threw that in there now. But you didn't share your sins, except for the respectable ones, the little things, you know, that didn't seem like they were that big of a deal. But I remember one time being in a men's group, and one of the leaders in our church got up and shared to the men a really bad failure that he had had the week just before. And I remember sitting there in the chair in that moment and thinking, he's just like me. And so many of us, we like to think that, oh, I've got everyone fooled. But in reality, what a comfort it is, is we as each other are willing and open to share our sins, knowing that each one of us is in desperate need of Jesus. So I want to ask you this morning, do you personally own up to your failures and your sins in the present? Or do you only talk about your sins in the past tense? I used to struggle with this. I used to struggle with that. Or are people seeing that you honestly know, have an accurate view of yourself before God right now? Because the family in your life, the friends in your life, they know that you're a sinner. It's good for them to hear it. They know that you don't have it together and that you struggle. It's good for them to hear you acknowledge that. And let me tell you this. Now, Jesus says, do good works so that the outside world will see them and will glorify your Father who is in heaven. But as I talk to people who don't know Christ so very recently in our world today, they know about the cover-up in the church. They know about the things that we try to sweep under the rug. They know they are a mess. And one of the greatest apologetics or one of the greatest ways for someone to be drawn into Christianity is for them to hear you talk about that you still are sinful. 
that you don't have it together. Because your coworkers, they know you don't. Your friends that don't know Christ, they know you don't. And one of the greatest invitations to come to church is to say something like this. This is how I invite people. You're going to come and you're going to find a bunch of people just like you that are messy, that are sinful, that struggle, but people who know they desperately need Jesus, and that's why we gather. Not to say we're better or superior to people who aren't here, but it's people who know that we need Jesus And we come together and we feast on his grace and we soak in who he is and his mercy and goodness to us as sinners who are in desperate need of it. So first and foremost, if you are not going to be hindered by sin, it's not going to weigh you down. You have to confess that you are an ongoing sinner. But we want to, yes, have a culture of brokenness. But like God, we also want to be a church that takes sin very seriously and knows the devastating effects of sin. So after we say that we are sinners, we look at verse 9 to see what do we do with that sin. This is what it says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So secondly... Don't be hindered by unconfessed sin. Instead, confess specific ongoing sin. Confess it. I think the older generation are the ones that struggle with acknowledging that they're sinful. I think the younger generation acknowledges that their sin has a hard time saying their sin's not a big deal. So we both need to meet together in this on the church and acknowledge our sinfulness and to see it as a huge deal and offense to God. Because the word confession, if you don't know, the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language, and we translated the word confession into English from the word homologeo. And this is what confession means. It's actually two words put together. The first one's homo. You know what that means? It means same. Legeo means say. So the word confession, confession means this same say. Same say. So when you confess your sin, what you are saying is that you say the same thing about your sin that God does. You say the same thing about your sin that God does. Well, you can't know what God says unless you know what he thinks about sin. And here's how he feels about sin. He hates it. He despises it. Our worry, our lust, our pride, our arguing... He doesn't see those as just issues that we need to work through, but a breaking of his law, a falling short of his glory, an offense to his holiness, and the reason that Jesus had to die. He hates sin. And when we confess, we come and say, I see my sin the same way that God sees it. And so confession is not blaming others oh we love to blame others don't we it's easy to do isn't it we always want to blame someone else if my boss at work was just a little bit better I wouldn't sin as much if my spouse just understood me more I wouldn't sin if my girlfriend my boyfriend my friends my parents it's everyone else's fault now do people in our lives affect things in our lives you bet But here's what I want you to see this morning. People don't cause us to sin. They simply reveal the sin that is already present in our hearts. 
So we can't blame others. We also can't blame our circumstances. Now, do our circumstances heavily affect our lives? Absolutely they do. But we can't say things like this. I'm sorry, I'm just stressed out right now. That's why I, that's why I screamed. I'm really tired and I'm hungry. I'm hangry, right? I'm, that's why I'm upset. No, we need to take the blame and say, homo legeo, same say. The same thing that God says about my sin. When I confess my sin to God, I'm saying that it is an offense to him and I want to turn from it. When's the last time you confessed your sin? If you can't remember it, there's a problem. It means you're not living in the first one, that you're an ongoing sinner and that you need to confess ongoing sin. This is a way that we're not saying that as Christians that we're perfect, but we're committed to purification and coming back into a right fellowship with God again. And true confession always leads to change. Someone got uh, like a, a 20 or a $50 bill out there. Things have been tight right now and I just need, no. 20 bucks, 50 bucks, anybody got one? What do you got there, Ken? Oh man, look at all, that's a, talk to Ken if you're in need, look at that. Man. Thank you, Ken, you'll get this back. I just want to use it as an illustration. Um, so I took Ken's 20 bucks, or 50 bucks actually, look at that. Yeah, it's real, man. Actually, you know what? Now I'm going to keep it. No, you know what? I shouldn't do that. Can I feel really bad about taking your $50? I confess to you that that was wrong. Okay, next point. Now, is that true confession? No, because confession always leads to action, doesn't it? For me to keep Ken's 50 bucks and to say, I acknowledge, I, f I actually feel really terrible about taking your $50 when I said I would give it back to you. I confess that is wrong. But how many of us do the very same thing? Oh God, I feel so sorry. I feel so wrong for doing that. I confess that. Now is that true confession? No. Because confession always leads to action. True confession. Thank you, Ken. If you want, I could just walk it back to the black box back there. The interest, yeah. <laughs> true confession always leads to change. It is not simply a sorry or I feel bad. And you know what? As you confess to God, James tells us to confess our sins one to another. He says this, therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for each other so that you might be healed. So if we are going to have a culture of confession, we need to be a place that is open and honest about our sins, takes them very seriously, and then turns those sins and says to God, I confess my sin and come into a right pure relationship with him again into a greater fellowship. Well, let me explain this just a little bit further uh, to what we're talking about. And I believe John, in his gospel, helps us out as he records a conversation with Peter and Jesus. This is what it says in John chapter 13, verses 6 through 10. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? So if you, see, if you know the scene here, Jesus is about to be betrayed. And in his hardest, deepest moment, he takes off his outer clothing, 
takes on a servant's role and begins to wash the disciples' feet. And he gets to Peter, and Peter's like objecting to this, right? And he says, Jesus answered him, what I am not now doing, you don't realize now, but afterward, you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Give me a whole bath. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except for his feet. But he is already completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. And he's speaking of Judas there. So what is Jesus telling Peter in this moment? If you have a relationship with me, you have been completely cleaned. When you confess, you don't have to put your faith in Jesus again. You don't have to have your, all your sins forgiven again. That already happened the one time that you believed in Christ, one time sacrifice. If for you and I, if we go outside and we get our feet dirty, we don't come in and bathe our whole bodies again. We just need to wash off our feet. So what is Jesus saying here? You've already been made perfect. But as you walk with me and you continue to sin, you purify yourself by washing your feet. So there is a forgiveness or a purification one time for salvation. But there is an ongoing purification for us as we confess our sin and Christ brings us back into a right relationship with him again. So listen, don't waste your summer by living in unconfessed sin. Some of you right now, I don't need to name your sin. You know what it is. It's sitting on your mind right now, that sin that's dominating you. Do you want to stay there? Is it fun? Is it enjoyable? Feeling far from God? When you look at inappropriate things on your phone and you feel far from God? Do you go, did God go somewhere? No, he didn't go anywhere. He's just as near to you as before. But you've let sin those evil desires push you away from him. Confess it. Say the same thing about God. It's about sin that God does and turn from it. And then God, even this morning. Anybody with me on this? If you have kids, like sometimes Sunday mornings are the worst mornings. I mean, just, you, you know, the devil's just in your house, right? And you're like, the kids are just off the wall and disobedient. Something about Sunday morning. Even today, right, there's, there's, that's happening in our house. But there is a time when we as children act up, react, that the father comes and sits on the bed and puts his arm around us and brings us back into a right fellowship with him and we confess when we were wrong. And the father is calling you to very, do the very same thing as his sons and his daughters. Verse 9, the second half of it says this. He, if we confess our sins, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't be hindered by unconfessed sin. Here's the last one. Trust God will continue to forgive your ongoing sin. It's a promise. Did you see that? There is a promise right there that he is faithful to do what he says he will do. There is not enough times that God says that's enough you've confessed enough times you've reached your limit no he always brings you back he doesn't hold it against you I mean how good is he 
I mean, is that all it takes? It doesn't say that if you confess your sin, Jesus gives you a list of penance and things you have to say to get back into a right relationship with him again. He doesn't say, meet me halfway and do good this week, and maybe at the end of next week, I'll bring you back into a right fellowship with me again. No, he says, if you confess your sin, I'm going to do what I say I will do, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to welcome you in into a right fellowship with me again. Oh, how good is he? Our God is extraordinary. And some of you this morning have got that glass in your foot. It's keep, it's hindering everything you're doing. Won't you confess today that ongoing sin that's keeping you from right fellowship with God? I gave you a memory verse last week and I want to give us another one this week. Take a picture of it. We'll put it up on our socials. If you don't follow us on Facebook or Insta, do that. Park Church DSM. This is what it says. The one who conceals his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. Let that truth sink in. Memorize that this week. Proverbs 28 verse 13. I want to talk to you, those of you, just maybe just be a few of you this morning, because most of this message relates to believers. But there are some of you this morning, you don't have a relationship with God. You don't know him. Let me tell you this. Jesus never once confessed his sins because he didn't have any. But you do. I do. And because Jesus never once sinned, he is qualified to be our Savior. His perfect life is able to be substituted for your imperfect life. If you confess that Jesus is God, that you are a sinner, and that you have turned from him, Jesus, who has never sinned, will come and save you. He's already paid the full debt of your sin upon the cross. And if you simply believe in faith, that is to trust him that he died and that he rose again, you will be saved. That's why we take communion. That's why we observe the Lord's table together. Taking the bread and the juice doesn't do anything to save you. But it's a reminder of salvation that's already happened. As we come together, participate with Christ, and as a church, we remember of his body that was given for us in our place, his perfect body, his shed blood that was poured out on our behalf. That's what those represent, what we remember in that. The juice represents his shed blood. None of these things will save you. Only Jesus can do that. This is a remembrance of salvation. So if you're out there this morning and you don't know Jesus yet, oh, we're so glad you're here. Would you come back? But this isn't for you. This is for people who have placed their trust in Jesus and Jesus alone to be saved and know for sure that their sins are forgiven. Or better yet, why don't you trust him today? I'm gonna pray in just a moment. If you're new with us, you don't know how we take communion, we'll give you some time. I would encourage you today, believer, before you come up and partake, 
to search your heart. Is there an ongoing sin that you need to confess to come into a right fellowship with God again? And then once you do that, don't come up here guilty, but celebrate that your guilt has been taken care of through the Son, Jesus Christ. Grab one of these, take it back to your seat, and then I'll come up later. Just keep it with you. You can continue to meditate and pray on what you heard today, and then we'll all take this together. Let's pray together, and then you, you can come up in just a moment.